Studios of WORQ in Wisconsin. This is the Stand Up for the Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up for the Truth. Crash Connell welcoming uh, welcoming you to Thursday, September 28, 2023, a fresh new podcast. <clears throat> Pardon me, Mary Danielson is here. Our radio listeners will not know this, but our video watchers on Q90FM Radio on on uh, face, uh, no, it's YouTube, Q90FM Radio on YouTube, will see that Mary is wearing her Stand Up For The Truth gear shirt, standupforthetruth.com slash gear, so you can get one of those shirts for yourself, but you got to wait for the video, because right, yeah. right now we're audio live. Yes. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Good morning to all of our listeners. We are listener-supported. And also shadow banned on social media, so please uh, share the podcast far and wide. And then we got some exponential sharing going on, so uh, that would be great. And we're so glad you joined us today. And as always, our goal is to educate and edify, but more than anything, to point people to Jesus Christ, who is our only hope for salvation, the way, the truth, the life. There is salvation in no other name under heaven. And people say, oh, that's kind of narrow-minded, but... As sinful humans, we aren't in any condition to dictate the terms of eternity. In fact, we are powerless to do so. So we are grateful beyond measure for the sacrifice of Jesus to pay a debt we can never pay and give hope to the hopeless. Praise God. Our scripture verse today is Psalm 40, 4 through 8, which says, Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. What a great psalm. Uh, would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning, and it's only by your great grace that we can accomplish the things that you have given us to do. Help us to keep eternity in our hearts and to stand fast when things get difficult. We lift up those who are hurting and in pain and ask for your gentle touch on their lives. Uh, we thank you for the testimony of our guest today and lift Jim and his loved ones up to you uh, for good health, um, and protection to finish well and with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, our guest is Jim Farrington of First Stone Ministries, firststone.org. Their mission is to lead people to freedom from homosexuality and sexual brokenness through a relationship with Jesus Christ, to reach out to churches, schools, organizations, and the general public by providing education, biblical discipleship, support, and AIDS ministry. Jim, first of all, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. Thanks, Mary. I'm glad to be here. Tell us more about First Stone, uh, on the ground, so to speak. You know, What are some of the opportunities you've had to minister to people about freedom and identity in Jesus Christ? Because so many are seeking identity um, in everything but Jesus. So what are some of the things you do there, um, You know, the links to churches and that sort of thing? Well, we, we educate the general public. We educate churches. 
um, a lot of the churches across the, the U.S. are facing um, propaganda and ideology that um, goes uh, directly against what what we know to be uh, true. Um, you know, um, marriage between a man and a woman, uh, God's created intent for human sexuality, um, stuff that, that we've been for for years, you know, I mean, really, for thousands of years, there's been that standard of the image of God in man and woman, and that um, marriage is between one man and one woman uh, for life, a covenant, holy marriage. And um, so there are a lot of churches that find themselves blindsided by the LGBT propaganda um, ideology and feel almost inept on being able to speak to it, especially when they have congregants with children who are coming out right and left as mm-hmm. trans or bi or gay or non-binary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what we what we do, what we have been doing, and we've been around since 1976. We're we're mm-hmm. about to have a we very soon a 50th birthday, but um, helping to equip and educate and empower and encourage families and individuals and communities and churches that um, that there is there is a way out, that Jesus does set the captive free, that he does move in the lives of people who are yielded and surrendered to his lordship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, contrary to what you hear in the media, what contrary to what you hear in the culture, um, you know, even back in Paul's day, right? First uh, Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, but such were some of you. Mm-hmm. Um they faced it even even back then. This is not this is not something that's new, but it's been a boiling frog that the church has not actually felt the need to address mm-hmm. um, anymore. You know, until starting hitting their own families. Yeah, yeah, you know? it, and then they're blindsided, like, well, we we never saw this coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's actually very heavy. You know, of all the difficulties and challenges of raising a family, and you put that in there. And it throws everybody for a loop. Um, not, right. Can you tell us some of your testimony? Because I'd like to lay a bit of a groundwork here. And I know that, you know, right. I, I think of when I read your story, I think of the hound of heaven, you know, as sometimes God is called, because he pursued you. And um, mm. you have an incredible story. And can you just give us, uh, lay some of that groundwork? Um, don't worry about the time frame. Just to go ahead and tell us, what is your story? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I came out of a, a background. I was raised Catholic. Um, I had a mom and dad that were relationally and sexually broken. Um, both came from abusive <clears throat> backgrounds. Um, my father had already previously been married when he uh, married my mom and, um, and was really ill-equipped to be um, a, a hands-on dad. Mm. And um, I began to experience it. Back in the 70s, it was... Uh, um, kind of a normal thing for, um, in general, for the culture to be immersed in various things that involved kind of loose sexuality. You know, we had the sexual revolution in the 60s and the advent of pornography and Alfred Kinsey's uh, influence on our government. And, um, you know, by the time I came along, my dad was already somebody who had dealt with his own um uh, addiction with pornography. And so I, I not only was I, I coming into the picture um, being molested, but 
but then being exposed to pornography at age eight, uh, which really uh, became very confusing, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Not knowing, uh, I was too young to be able to process all that information. And it began, you know, experimentation with babysitters and what have you. And we eventually moved to Oklahoma when I was 12. And um, the there was a neighborhood man that um, I was mowing lawns for money because we were going on vacation. And um, this man um, molested me. And, and I would say I had a little bit of an experience with trafficking in the sense that there were times that when I went over to mow the lawn, he had other men there mm. to use me. And it was just something normal for me as a, as a young kid um, and I had experienced a, um, um, when I was nine, there was a situation that happened with the babysitter that came to light with my parents. And, you know, they, they, I ended up getting in trouble for that. And so anything that happened from that point on, I would not tell anybody because I didn't want to get in trouble. And so I go, I go into my teenage years with, uh, with a, um, assumed gay identity. I remember thinking to myself, I must be this way because this keeps happening to me. Mm. And from there, sort of my, my interaction with men from that point on became, became sexualized and, and specifically, you know, and, and I, if, you know, I would say that if there was a pedophile within 20 miles, I I would find them or Mm. they would find me. But Mm. so, so I, I went on to have this, the the this interaction with with men and it was like my entire paradigm worldview of human sexuality and human relating came from the molestation and the interaction with pedophiles and um it 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 set me on this journey of uh, identifying as gay um i came in contact with jesus uh, when i was 18 i knew i was hungry for god but i didn't understand that hunger um, it wasn't something that we talked about in the family. Um, we were we were nominal Catholics, mm. you know. We were in church sometimes, but if we mm. if if it was a night to Columbus, we were there every time. But um, that's where I heard the gospel for the first time, and I did respond to it. I said yes um, at some point. I knew I had a a feeling that something had happened, and and I ended up asking Jesus to come into my life. Now, that being said, um, I never actually active, actively laid down my, my past or my homosexuality. I just assumed that it would, it was gone. Um, there was no, there was no, um, pastoral care. There was no mm. counseling. There was no mentoring or discipleship in that, you know, teaching me that I needed to lay down my life for the gospel, for, you know, that it's an ongoing work, right? Yeah. And so got married. There had been a baby in the picture, and that's a long story, and I won't go into that. But, you know, I did what the church was saying. If this is your child, then you need to marry this woman and raise the family. And so I did. Um, But I married a woman that I wasn't in love with, and she came to the table with her own story of molestation. And so Mm -hmm. for three years, we just back and forth of um, um, trying to do, you know, what, what the church was telling us to do. But never, never actually dealing with any of the past, and that 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 ended up that ended up at a crescendo, um, where we we split up in order for her to come. Uh, we were in Texas at the time, and she came up here to counsel with our pa- our pastor, 
in Edmond, and I went to the pastor of the church there in Wichita Falls, Texas, and his response to me was, there's nothing I can do for you, and I, I can't help you. Hmm. And when, when that happened, I walked away completely deflated. Like, that meant that, that the only thing that we have left to us is constant fighting and bickering, and it had just been getting worse. And at that point, I'm like, I don't want to live like that anymore. And if there's no hope for me, then, then, then you know, I, I'm, I'm going to walk away from it. So I told her I want a divorce, and we split up. And she went into lesbianism, and I eventually went back into homosexuality. But it was during that time that, um, that I began to uh, emerge. Um, I, I have arrested development in, in the sense that I was dealing with things in my 20s and 30s and 40s I should have been dealing with way before. But um, during that time, God began to bring people into my life. And I became aware that God was pursuing me, but I didn't know what to do with that because my father never pursued me. Uh, and, I, and, you know, in my own reasoning, I walked away from you. Why do you, why do you want anything to do with me? <laughs> wow. um, I always knew it was wrong. I never once thought that I was born that way or that God made me this way, anything like that. I knew I had a solid, concrete understanding that the way I was living was incongruent with um, who God is and what his word says about human sexuality. And um, and then I had a chance encounter with a stranger. Um, I worked for Red Lobster at the time, and I wasn't supposed to be her server, but she, uh, uh, I ended up being her server, and she said at one point, you're going to think I'm crazy, but God's trying to get your attention and wants to talk to you, or your father wants to talk to his son. Wow. And I began to weep because I knew, I knew that I knew that this was true, and I told her, you're not crazy. And I had the wherewithal to go to the side station, pull up some receipt paper from the machine, and bring it back to her and ask, will you write that down for me? And she did. And I have it laminated, and I keep it at home, but it mm-hmm. says, the Lord is calling your name. The God of all creation is calling your name, and it's a serious matter. And I knew that it was. Um, but that that enabled me that enabled me to be able to actually look to God like, is it possible? Can you do this for me? Can you set me free? And, um, and I, I can't pinpoint the day that it happened, but there was a moment in my life where I yielded. I said, if it kills me, I'm going to follow you because I can't live like this anymore. And I, that was in 1999. And from 96 to 99, I really did try to get free. I would quit being gay, so to speak. But the thing was, is that my heart still held on to the idolatry. I quit everything outwardly, but, but inwardly, I still held, held on to my sin. And, um, um, in that moment when I said, if it kills me, I'm going to follow you, I was willing to lay it all down to have him is when I began to discover and kind of uh, understand that there was a strength at work in me that I had never experienced before. And I literally, it was like an about face. Um, all of my relationships and friendships at that, at that point in time always centered around the gay bars and hanging out with friends from work and smoking cigarettes or whatever. And you know, for the first time, they would come by the house and say, hey, we're going out to the bar. And I would say, I, 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 that's not who I am. And I didn't know who I was yet, but I knew that that's not who I was and that I was following Jesus on whatever trajectory he, he was taking me. And, and um, you know, there was a, um, a moment one morning my alarm clock went off and um, this song by Brian Duncan called Strolling on the Water. 
was was playing and I you know got up groggily and went to the, the alarm clock to shut it off but I was listening to this music and for some reason I felt compelled to sit and listen and in one part of it toward the end is the the last part of the lyric says you feel the wind in your hair with your eyes closed take a breath of fresh air feel the mist on your toes look where we are and when I heard that I I I actually heard the Lord say to me, look at what I did for you. Mm. I did it. I did it. I, I, I made you free. Wow. And I fell to the floor weeping because it was like the longing of my heart. Just, I was, cause I was so, so depressed and I hated my life and I felt mm. like a, um, a prisoner of, of my, of my life in general. And here's Jesus saying, I did it for you, you know, and it mm-hmm. like that he would love me that much that he would do that for me. Wow. And, um, and then that brought, that took me to Iowa eventually and about four years of encountering who I was and who he created me to be. And even to the point of, of, of bringing the understanding through the word that I had been created heterosexually and I only struggled with homosexual sin and, and the freedom that comes from that, because that means I can lay that at the cross and I can say, give me what you have for me so that I can continue to walk, um, according to your will for my life and, and in submission to your Lordship. And, and he did, I mean, I began to watch little nuances of my masculinity that I had been cut off because of my bitterness toward my father and it even brought me to a place of being able to see my father through God's eyes. And when I did that, I was really able to lay down all of my bitterness and resentment and anger and hatred. And and in came compassion and mercy. And everything that I had, I had vowed against the masculine because of my dad, I began to discover that mm. in myself. And it was such a, rev- a beautiful revelation. Wow. Um, but that brought me back to Oklahoma because I was began to uncover the past of having been molested by over over 34 different people. Um, when I say, you know, why 34? Because I was counting, and when I got to 34, knowing that there was more, I, I, I said, this is enough. I don't need to go any further and have that exact count. I just know something significant had happened, and I need help. Wow. I need help in being able to uncover all the layers of trauma and pain, abuse, uh, misogyny, misandry, everything that had had uh, developed the mindset that I had. And that's what brought me back to Oklahoma was continuing to work on uncovering and, and letting Jesus heal those parts of me. Mm. And, um, and it's been, you know, in some, in some ways I'm still, I'm still uncovering mm. and I'm still dealing. The Lord has been very gracious to me this year in revealing to me my, and in the sense of, you know, like I'm very solid in my masculinity, but for the longest time, even my coworkers would tell you that I would say that going into large groups of men, like at church, was very difficult for me, mm. and I and I couldn't pinpoint why. Um, but at a retreat this year, the Lord said to me um, specifically, "You encounter your father in every man that you meet," and when that happened, the revelation that oh my gosh, you know. Um, <laughs> I grew up in an environment where everything I did was wrong and nothing I did was right. And my dad, my dad was hands off. I was not the son that he wanted. I watched him love my cousins, my male cousins in a way, adore them and fond, fond, you know, be fond of them and show them affection in, in ways that he didn't with me. And so as an adult, that's why I had problems going into groups of men because I was encountering that disapproving 
father mindset, you know, that, mm-hmm. and the, the Lord really freed me from that. And even to the point of re- recognizing that now I'm free to be actually engaged with the life that he's put in other men. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, wow. you know, it changes the dynamic completely. Yeah. But, you know, so I, you know, I'm, I've been around First Stone since 2003 and I'm the men's minister on staff now. Um, having, having been there, you know, um, you know, Second Corinthians, I think it's chapter one, um, um, that talks about the comfort that we're comforted with, that, mm-hmm. that we comfort with the comfort that we have received from God. And that's kind of what I do. Um, knowing, knowing, mm-hmm. um, what God's will is for our humanity, for our sexuality, um, even for relationship and intimacy with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so what I do here is I help. I help. I come alongside families. I come alongside individuals um, watching God move <laughs> and, and, and begin to reveal and heal. It's, it's such, a, such an honor to be able to do this. Yeah. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a young man that I've been mentoring and ministering to for over a year that, that at, you know, at some point was, in, was headed toward the direction of trance. And and then seeing and you know being in in a session with him and him saying I know that God's will for me is is healthy whole heterosexuality that I was created heterosexual that's a huge revelation um, and and if it's just one person that that God can use me to to bring out of that darkness then it's well worth it yeah wow I mean a testimony is a powerful powerful thing and God not only wants to save us. You know, he wants to continue to sanctify us and, and, and grow us into maturity so that we can represent him to a lost and dying world. So what an amazing Amen. story. Thank you for sharing that. We've got about eight minutes left in this particular segment. And I kind of want to transition into the topic of social media because it's something relatively new on the world scene, you know, considering all the eras that have gone before us without people being able to reach across any time or place and then be instantly connected and influenced yeah. to a great degree when it comes to issues that until social right. media was never really discussed, you know, these issues were never discussed or even considered to discuss, proper to discuss in the light. So social media itself right. is one thing, and it's also affected civility and politics. But, um, you know, you had, un- unfortunately, there was a whole network of people that you, that had access to you. Um, so social media right. wasn't needed. But let's take this one step farther. What are some of the reasons that these vulnerable or what the the world calls marginalized, why do they seek out social media and how does it affect their well-being? Well, there's power in numbers, number yeah. one. Mm-hmm. And, and, and let me just say that what I have discovered just through some very light research, um, social media, I had heard, I can't remember where I heard it, but there was something that I heard about the at TikTok that, that the the camera on your phone measures the the dilation of your pupils, and when you get a dopamine hit from something that's pleasurable, like like for me, I love gardening, I love photography, um, I um, I love animals. Giraffes are my favorite animal. Um, so the way that that's geared is if I'm looking at something for over thirty seconds to to a minute. Um, and, and it's making my pupils dilate because I'm taking pleasure in that. It actually curates, the software will curate a feed that, that goes along the line of, you know, of what I'm looking at. 
And when you've got people, so so all of us come to the table with our own brokenness, okay? Mm-hmm. We're, broke, we're born into a broken world. Yeah. We're also created for relationship because God made every one of us in his image, and he wants he wants interaction with his image in us. He wants to be that place where he fills us. He, we have a void that only he can fill. And and social media is a tool. Uh, for me, I'm not to sound, you know, weird, but I think that the social media is a tool of the devil. Mm-hmm. It can be used for good. But we see it be, we see it m- most often being used to communicate wrongly things that are based off uh, uh, hearsay and conjecture, but no proof. Um, but but because you've got these kids that are plugging into something that everything that pops up on their feed is is praising and worshiping mm. all things LGBTQ, you know, all the you know the the temptation to be your own god because that that's temptation in the garden, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Where Eve, Eve, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, well, God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you'll be like Him, and that is that is the temptation, you know, that that even Satan being thrown down. From heaven, because he wanted to be like God, or he wanted to be God, and so he tempts God's creation into with the exact same thing. And you know, um, when you've got kids that are raised in an environment that they're, you know, that they they feel less than, or they have, you know, low self esteem, whatever it is, um, um, social media has this powerful lure. You can be praised and worshipped by people who don't even know you. Mm. That that you're not even in relationship with, but you're getting mm. all of this accolade. And I mean, you know, look, think about this. When take a take a typical three year old, what's going to happen if you coordinate? So the family and friends they all come together without this three year old knowing about it. They throw this party, lots of balloons and lots of fanfare and praise and cupcakes and punch and all this stuff just because that person is that three-year-old is going to be delighted in beyond measure (laughs) right Mm -hmm. i mean they're getting they're getting love and relationship and and all these people telling them how wonderful they are you know i mean it's delightful and and that's kind of something that happens with these kids is that they start embracing well, I think I'm non-binary, and, and then everyone comes alongside them in fanfare, mm-hmm. you know, ticket tape parades and confetti, and and oh, let's have a party and celebrate your non-binaryness, which is really sad because non-binary means you're nothing, mm-hmm. yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's what it means, right. And we're we're starving for an identity, mm-hmm. and we have an enemy that knows this. And 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 I you know like I don't I know that you're familiar with George Barna, the Barna yes, report. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Well, so in in June, um, no, I'm sorry. In July, we were at the Marriage Family Life Conference in Tupelo, and there is a, um, uh, I think Israel um, Brombeck. That may be his last name. He's an educator. Um, and he's a proponent for homeschooling, but mm-hmm. he had sat in on, on George Barna's, um, uh, Israel Wayne is his name Israel Wayne. Maybe. Okay. Um, but he, he had listened to what George Barna said mm-hmm. and, and had touted off some statistics to me that led me to do some research. And I know that we're coming up on a break, but there was some stuff that I uncovered, and I actually got George Barna's newest book, 
and I'm I'm seeing a a clearer picture as to why families are being hit so hard with this LGBT and the propaganda around it, mm-hmm. and it's frightening. Hmm. Yes, it's really frightening. Yeah, it really, really is. And I know that uh, some of the reasons the vulnerable seek out, like you said, an addicting thing that validates them at every turn, sometimes is entertainment, a sense of community, uh, identity yeah. expression, emotional support, romantic relationships. But social media isn't real life. And I, I, I guess um, it's an illusion of support because only real life is real life. Do you have any thoughts on the reality right. of it? Well, you've got people that you're interacting with that are telling you to make certain decisions that will never oh. be there to take take the uh, responsibility for the consequences of the the damaging or distorted choices that you make. Mm. Right. Which is which is really sad. Mm. And and there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect in families. Um, kids are kids are looking for a, a sense of identity. Yeah. Um, they're not. You know, like um, one of the things that I'm seeing is that you know. Uh, the parents that I ministered to, they would say, you know, we did everything right. Yeah. Well, did they do everything right? Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's such a minefield, isn't it? This The culture is just a tremendous minefield, and you have to be on top of things all the time, especially if you have kids and in families today. Uh, it's so different than when I was uh, being raised and when I was raising my own. It's just so, so different, and it's difficult to keep up with. So uh, this is Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson, and we are speaking to Jim Farrington at FirstStone.org. We heard an incredible testimony going in, and uh, uh, wow. Uh, stay tuned for the second part. We're going to talk about raising kids today. We're going to talk about succumbing to the affirmation of alternative lifestyles within the church. So we have quite a bit more to talk about. Um, Be back in two. Stay with us. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. We are speaking with Jim Farrington of FirstStone.org. If you missed his testimony in the first half, make sure that you catch that later on the podcast. Um, want to talk about raising kids today. I mean, the media and the government are meddling where they do not belong. Kids are getting opportunities to withhold information about their lives from parents with consent and urging from elected officials, among others. I mean, most kids have secret lives Anyway, as it is, they keep things from mom and dad. But back in May, um, uh, the president said that our nation's children are all of our children, and there's been a lot of dust up about that. He was ripped by critics when he made a statement suggesting the children of parents across the nation belong to the whole country to raise rather than just our own families. There's no such thing as someone else's child, he said. Um, our nation's children are all our children, quoting a former teacher, surprise, during a speech at the White House in 2023. Um, and I saw a headline last week that I can't seem to find today, but it said basically parents don't know what's best for their children. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the next step is already here, keeping parents out of the big decisions related to, I mean, gender of all things uh, and, and their social circle. So, um, you know, what what can we say? How can we uh, encourage parents to ignore this kind of it takes a village to raise a child? There's nothing new about this, right? Uh, is that uh, – what are your thoughts on that? No. Well, so so um, I was talking to you previously about, about George Barna, and he um, has, does research 
And mm-hmm. the research that he did indicated that there are three primary things that are um, the, the three most powerful things that help a child develop a permanent worldview. The first one was the parents. The second one was entertainment and media. And mm. the third one was the government. Wow. And one of the, one of the things that George Barna pointed out, and it's really, really, I mean, like it blew my mind as I was reading this that I, and I remember going back to the eighties and raising my own children that the idea is that if you have your kids in school, if you have them in public or in a, you know, Sunday school and going to school and being there, you know, that everything's going to work out great. And so the focus has always has always pretty much been just on the parents being biblically educated yeah. while while the children are being neglected. And not only that, but you know in the families where you have parents that said we did all the right things, we're also talking about parents that that did not did not instill a love of the truth mm. into into their children and that at some point they think around you know teenage years where we really start focusing on on helping them develop a worldview. But guess what? Surprise! Your child has an established worldview outside of your influence because the whole focus has been on yourself. <laughs> and and I, it really it, it it just made so much sense when I read that yeah. um, that the warning is that the parents. Yes, the parents need to need to develop uh, a, a solid biblical theology, but your children have a need from mm-hmm. a very young period of age. Uh, probably uh, look at eighteen months, eighteen months to to about eleven or twelve years old. Yeah, and really focusing on teaching them biblical biblical standards. The you know what the word says. You know what it means to to not be a lover of the world. Mm. Um, you know the word says that those those who make themselves the friends of the world become the enemies of God. Mm. But and you know and I have a young man even um, that I've that I've been he's been in my life for about maybe seven or eight years and uh, he lives in Pennsylvania. I've never met him, but we communicate constantly. And he has a, a two or three year old daughter. And they're already encountering difficulties and discipline and uh, strong will. And I asked him, I asked him if he is instilling biblical principles in her. And his response was, yes, I take her to church and to, and I think Sunday school. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but you're not talking about it. You're not, you're not doing it at home. Mm. And I start pointing out to him, are, are you doing, are you watching things on TV that are that are diametrically opposed to biblical truth, and he admitted that he was. You cannot teach your children to obey God, and 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 to use the Word of God as a template for how they are living their lives when they see that you're not doing it. Yeah, wow. And I've always said, and, oh, go ahead. No, and you. So what you've got is a gener, you know, a generation of, of kids that the the world is telling them who they are. Mm-hmm that the entertainment and the media is telling them who they are. And then the worst part of it is the government is the third most powerful influencer. So when you've got Biden that is saying your children don't belong to you, you have you have children that are already falling for it saying we don't belong to our parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Right? Yep. Yep, and I've always said that if you haven't instilled a worldview in your child by sixth grade, you are too late. 
um, and the world is all over this. Now, it depends on when parents get saved. Some might get saved a little older, and then you've got a lot of catching up to do. But I was looking online, you know, because the world is pulling at our kids, of course. The the enemy wants their souls mm-hmm. for all eternity. We need to understand that. But I looked at some headlines. I did a search on parenting with the parameters. Do parents know what's best for their children? Well, here are just an example of the search results that young people can see when they do these searches. Why you shouldn't care what your parents think. Seven things your parents don't need to know about you. My parents don't listen to me. What should I do? Six types of parents who don't love their children. Your parents don't always know what's best. And then one from the adult side, and this makes things a lot worse. I love my kids, but I hate parenting. So these are all things that people can read. uh, And and there's many, many more, obviously. And so I think the confusion level out there... Um, parenting is exhausting. It should be. If you're not exhausted, I'm not sure that you are giving it your all or being consistent. Let's just say being consistent with who you are, living it out, and having your kids. They What you say, not so much, but what you do. What do you think about that? Um, I agree. And it, the, 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 it, it goes back to that, that second point. The media and the, and the entertainment mm-hmm. venue has a very powerful influence on our kids because if they're plugged into their phones and they're spending an inordinate amount of time on their phones, they are, they are listening to what's coming across all of that versus listening to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it curates this mindset. Um, I, uh, I just, yesterday I was doing a sort of a blind um, internet search. Um, I saw a headline having to do with uh, LGBT and discovered um like this story of the federal court in Maryland on last Thursday decided that parents, well, not maybe not last Thursday, but it, the, um, they introduced LGBT curriculum into their schools. And the parents, they, they, there was an injunction that permit, that prevented them from being allowed to opt out their kids when when school started on the uh, on mm-hmm. the 28th of August mm-hmm. uh, the judge all right now be are you ready for this the judge that did that is a Biden appointee mm-hmm. and and their target in their own words their target group is kids from pre-k to 8th grade mm-hmm. why do you think that is because that is the window frame of time in which a a worldview gets instilled in our kids wow and they know that yeah. And they know that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and, go ahead. You know, the parents, I mean, like, we, we need to be smarter. We need to be much smarter than, than what's going on in our government. And then, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, you know, it's, parents are starting to wake up and they're mm-hmm. starting to protest, but, but you're, you've got a lot, you've got a lot going against you. You're fighting mm-hmm. for the, the the right to be able to parent your children according to the values that that you that you yourself are trying to hold yourself to, yeah. and you have a government that's trying to take that away. Um, we're we're in some very interesting times, you know. And mm-hmm. Jesus said that in the last days, woe to those with babes. And I I'm wondering, you know, what did Jesus mean by that? You know, um, do, is it because of the fact that that children are being targeted even from the point of birth? Where they're where they're 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 changing they're changing the terminology to say that the the sex assigned at birth, yeah, you know, right. I mean, 
when when I'm sorry, guess what? Guess what happens at conception? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, right. that's that's where the gender begins. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Gender is not assigned at birth. It's it's assigned at conception. Yeah, that that is just yeah. a terrible, terrible lie being told to people. There's a great article out there by Alex Newman. It's very long. It's called the totalitarian agenda behind LGBT sex ed revolution at school, and he makes some fascinating points. The dot he's connecting is, I mean, look at the the totalitarian. Um, uh, planetary prison that we are being locked into, you know, economically, digital currencies, so-called health mm-hmm. passports, green agendas and all that, the war on women, homogenizing morals, homogenizing genders. There's no women, there's no men, there's there's no uh, absolute anything. And he said the end game of all this, uh, and this is where they're grabbing at the kids, one of many ways they're grabbing at the kids, obviously, um, has to do with this final Marxist cultural revolution in which all these things are normalized, and that is a very scary thing. Now, you mentioned, Jim, about church. Well, I take my kids to church and such, but also parents have to be super careful about the church that they take their kids to because of something called you know, progressive theology, which is really just LGBTQ-friendly, because we had liberal theology, I mean, for how, how many decades now, which means, well, Genesis isn't true, Revelation isn't true, but this... Progressive theology, um, progressive Christianity, which I say is an oxymoron, is something completely different. Um, they twist the word. They focus on homosexuality. Um, yeah. So, you know, how can we help parents find that church that isn't going to go against what they're trying to teach at home? Well, I believe that that it starts with that that genuine, yielded, surrendered relationship to Jesus Christ mm-hmm. as Lord. Amen. And 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 being able to to determine to to really know. I mean, the word promises us that that the Holy Spirit will say, "This is the way, walking in it." Mm. Um, I believe totally. I mean, like whenever whenever um, you know, let me go back to when I when I walked out of homosexuality, um, I didn't know whether to move back to Oklahoma or to Iowa. And my mom called and said, "I have a tumor on my spine," and you know, I had lost my her, her brother, my uncle Jim, to cancer the year before. I didn't want to go through that again, and so I felt like that was my answer. But I was I was genuinely seeking uh, direction from the Lord as to what to do. That eventually did lead me back to going going back to uh, Oklahoma, which was uh, a godsend. Um, and God will lead us if we are seeking Him. We're truly seeking Him. He will lead us in the way that we should go. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, there's a lot of promise also in the Word that we're going to come ag- come against a lot of adversity. Jesus says, "If they hated me, they're going to hate you too." And we need to be prepared for that. We're gonna, we're living in a world that is not Jesus friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Christianity has become this byword that has actually no power behind it. Um, uh, I've worked with people when I was in the the restaurant industry that would that would designate themselves as Christian, but there was everything about their life that was telling me that they they are absolutely paganistic. Um, and you know, being in that place where 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 we're really yielding to the authority of the Word, the authority of the Holy Spirit, where Lord lead us in the way that we should go. I mean, he, His promises, He will do that. Yeah. Um, and we need that now even even more than ever before, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in this day and age. I think, you know, I mean, I know that even back in Paul's day, it was like you were in the last days. Um, but 
everything that we're seeing happening now says we we're at a crescendo. The volcano mm-hmm. is about to erupt, mm-hmm. and there's going to be some major dis- destruction that happens. And you know, Maranatha, come yeah. for Lord Jesus. Yeah, and so um, yep. So much of the church is yeah. asleep as well, and I think the the seeker movement and and um, you know trying to ask people what they want in a church so that you'll get numbers, you know, nickels and noses we call it. What a distraction, you know. The enemy knew right where to plant that uh, in the '90s and the the early ooze, uh, so that the church just uh, you know started saying, "Well, you know, we're just emergent and it's experience and it's contemplative and and we're doing a new thing," and <clears throat> so. I think the church uh, fell by the wayside, and it's getting hard to wake the church back up. It's like they hit the smoke alarm on their uh, the snooze the snooze button on their smoke alarm, or something like that. Yeah, Jesus said, "Many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, mm. and he'll say, Depart from me, I never knew you.'" And that's a scary thought. In, in reading this book by by Barner, which I highly rec- rec- recommend, mm-hmm. um, I think it's uh, called "Raising Spiritual Champions." Okay, um, but but. What he's what he's pointing out is um, there's a lot of people that are Christian more in name than they are in character and in and in um, and in their their personal yeah. devoted life. Yeah. And you know, and we we were duped into believing if we just did all the right things that, that mm-hmm. would be we would be okay. Um, this has been going on for decades. This is not something that just happened. This has been a slow boiling frog, and now people are starting to wake up. and And especially the parents are realizing, absolutely not. I don't want my child, you know, being exposed to this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, but you know, I mean, look at who we put in charge of our children. You know, we kind of put them in. We put them in their hands, expecting them to take care of them. But but a lot of your educators are are. Um, they're, you know, for lack of better words, they're they're banal. I mean, they, they, I I saw a video of a of a mother going into this classroom and ripping down this pride flag because the the teacher was not teaching the curriculum that mm-hmm. that the child was in the class for, but rather teaching the LGBT that it has over it has dominated everything mm-hmm. in the church and in an attempt to be seen as relevant and friendly and loving has come alongside the LGBT, you know, and, and even raising the, the pride flag over the denominations. And I'm telling you that when the church does that, you've invited a demonic stronghold to come in mm-hmm. and bring delusion. Mm-hmm. And when you start accepting, look at, look at what's going on with Andy Stanley. Yeah. I was just going to ask oh you my, about that. Yeah. He, he, he is totally preaching a false gospel. He's telling his congregants that the the LGBTQ person who has faith has more faith than they do. Hmm. It's it's elevating hmm. that above everyone and making that something that we have to bow down to. Wow. And he's he's been bamboozled. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jesus Jesus warned us of this. Mm-hmm. Um, many will come in my name, yeah. you know, but they're going to bring destructive heresies and doctrines of demons, and we have to be we we have to be kind of proactive in in testing the spirits what happened in testing the spirits yeah. if this is not is or is not of the of the lord is it measure up to the to the inerrancy of scripture the scriptures warn us very carefully um you know mm-hmm. and it's 
is we're we're living in some really really scary times. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very concerned. And I the the word lukewarm comes to mind because you know be hot or be cold. Mm-hmm. Parents stand up, yeah. you know, stand up and and take a stand for truth. I mean, something has or someone has told them that they shouldn't rock any boats, they shouldn't offend anyone with the gospel or the truth. But this this article um from American Family Association, it's called Succumbing to Blasphemy, LGBTQ Affirmation Within the Church. And it starts out talking about the United Church of Christ. Uh, of course, they're socially liberal. There are 4,700 churches in the U.S. And I don't expect much from them, okay? I have a very low expectation. And they had a drag drag Sunday um um because they're working towards the DEI, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and just, oh, we gotta add justice right. to that. They spent a Sunday morning honoring drag queens, and it's, they said drag queens are often targets of hate and violence, but we know that they are powerful and resilient people who show us what it means to be truly authentic. I don't think so, and expressive. So those are the two options, right? Targets of hate and violence, um, or, you know, looking for justice and looking for, you know, inclusion with them. There's a whole lot in between that. But then the article, yeah. uh, M.D. Perkins, and I know uh, he has that uh, a great book out there. I'm going to ask you about that in just a second. He does talk about Andy Stanley, and he says, quote, The influence of the gay movement with e- within evangelicalism is astonishing, Perkins said. People would be surprised at conservative churches that are starting to capitulate or compromise on this issue. Um I mean, it's corrupt, isn't it? Uh, what is what is the book is. that he has written? It's called Dangerous Affirmation. Okay, and it's 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 a. Let me tell you what I love so much about his book. I've read the whole book. So what what is amazing about this book is that it is in in um, in a language that everybody can understand. Mm. It's not too technical, and he and he really goes to the nth degree to really examine everything, which is really helpful. Um, because, you know, there are, are parents and families out there that they don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of this stuff is, is blindsiding them to the point that they're absolutely at a loss for what to do or what to think yeah. or what to, you know, how do, how do they, how do, how do they, um, equip themselves to be able to give an answer? Yeah. When your child is coming to you and say, this is how I was created, you know, how are you going to respond to that? When your child comes to you and says, you know, I, I decided that I'm, I'm a girl and I need you to call me by my, my, my girl name that I, that I chose and my pronouns. You have to practice my pronouns. If you don't do that, then I'm going to cut you out of my life. And you have these parents that are absolutely reeling in shock and in horror because they've spent the, the majority of their lives laying their lives down for that mm-hmm. loved one, only have their child says, if you don't obey me, I'm going to cut you off. Wow. Um, and, and, so, and, and um, Michael uh, M.D. Perkins does a really beautiful job of taking everyone through all of it. So we even get the, the, the lowdown on the terminology. He, he educates us on the terminology that they use, um, um, even with the, the revoice movement, which, you know, for some, there's, I don't know if any of your, your listeners understand what revoice is, but it is a movement to bring LGBTQ inclusion into the church at large and that, that this, you know, that this is how God created them. And it's really fraught with a lie, even from the very beginning, when they first started, um, I was, I was becoming aware in reading, they were, they were lumping in, um, gay Christians who had a 
quote unquote, Judaic um, sexual ethic, which meant that they were celibate, so to speak, quote unquote, celibate, but they were lumping them in with the LGBTQ. And but the way that they they nuanced the language, if you didn't know what to look for, you wouldn't catch it. Mm. And and it's meant to create a mindset um, that um, that this is this is you know God's doing a new thing. <clears throat> I remember back in what two thousand six or two thousand seven, I began hearing this term. Just you know, like when you hear the Lord say something, mm-hmm. I kept hearing the new gay. Hmm. The new gay, the new gay, and I had no idea what that meant, and and because I didn't have a grid for it, I just kind of put it on a shelf because I, I I had no idea, but but looking back now on that, just seeing that the Lord was preparing me for what was coming, because what we're looking at is a new new definition of what it means to be gay. And what they've done is they said, this is what God has done. And then they're taking Scripture and they're saying that, that Scripture doesn't mean what it says, and this was culturally derived. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of speculation around it. And parents who are not biblically sound don't know how to respond to this. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it sounds so plausible that it's almost easy to believe. That's why we have to be. We actually have to be very, very devoted to the Word of God, getting the Word of God engrafted in our hearts, meditating on it day and night. Um, We're encouraged in Jeremiah. We're encouraged in Psalm 1. Meditating on it day and night, and everything we do prospers. Absolutely. That's and, a promise. Yep, yep. And pulpits need to teach the fear of the Lord. They need to teach the holiness of who God is, that there's a judgment. That's right. And these, narciss- That's right. these narcissistic little children who think the world revolves around them are in for a horrible surprise if the adults continue to validate, quote-unquote, them and, and, and use these pronouns and all that. I mean, I just see a generation of little tyrants, and uh, it, it's just a scary, scary time that we're in in this world. Um, and, I, and, and we only have two minutes left, Jim. Just is there anything that we've missed that you really want to communicate? Gosh, um, <laughs> yeah, we need to be, we need, you know, the Word tells us, right? He says that, be on the alert. Your adversary, the mm-hmm. devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for, for who to devour. We, we need to be a lot more, proactive and understanding that he is going to do it in a way that we're not expecting. We're looking for something really outward, mm-hmm. and this is insidious. We have to be on the, we really do have to look at what's happening. Are, are you are you watching content on TV that is, that that the Lord would, would tell you absolutely not? If, if you're telling your children, don't do this and don't do that and do this and do that, but they're seeing you do exactly what you're telling them not to do, mm-hmm. they are not going to believe a word of what you say. Wow. No matter if if you are actually in in a relationship with God that you're growing, they see you compromise. They're they're going to compromise, mm-hmm. and and I realize that we have, you know, in our walk with Jesus, there is going to be this time of revelation. Oh Lord, I see this thing, and I I'm so sorry. I repent of this, but but we're talking about raising up a generation in the fear of the Lord through the Word mm-hmm. of God and obedience to the Word of God. That 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 man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thank Amen. Thank Jesus. Amen. And Jim, we are out of time. Firststone.org. Thank you, Jim Farrington. Just incredible insights and warnings and exhortations. Exhort one another while it is called today, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. First Stone has so many uh, news and resources uh, to help parents. If you're going through this, uh, you can reach out to them. I'm sure more and more parents are going to need these kind of ministries. So God bless you, Jim. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We will have to do this again. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in, is not in vain in the Lord. First Corinthians 15.58. Have a great day on purpose. <laughs>